If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? So let me take Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um it's been a crazy, crazy week since I last talked to Andrew Ramondi about all things NBA, about playoff series and stuff like that, draft lottery, and the NBA is just the gift that keeps on uh, giving. It It doesn't stop. The drama really doesn't stop. Of course, we're going to touch upon like all of the stuff that ended up happening in this past week, and of course, I have Andrew Ramondi back on uh, the podcast, so Andrew, welcome. Thanks for having me, Kev. Yeah, you like to open up these NBA pods by saying all the craziness that goes it, on in the it, NBA, it, but I mean, it it's, really it's pretty true, like you usually aren't. And the great thing is, I mean, obviously we have a Western Conference Finals that ended very quickly, but I was talking to you before the podcast, like we have a 2-2 Eastern Conference Finals and what's turned out to be a fairly interesting, not every game has been like super exciting, but fairly interesting series, but that's like honestly feels like the fourth or fifth things in people's minds right now so like you said there's a lot to discuss uh excited to be back and back in person talking nba with you i know seriously so where i first wanted to start off was talk about first of all the all nba teams were released today i think probably like two or three hours yeah. ago not even and um i guess i would just kind of like read out some of the names and like there's an, a different com- there's another conversation stemming off of all NBA uh, with those markers being reached in players' contracts and what that means for extensions, especially for veteran players. And we'll kind of get into that. But looking at the list, did you I think everyone kind of saw the list as, okay, there is a good amount of agreement. Yeah. Um, except maybe that third team list. LeBron surprisingly is on the third team. Maybe not so surprising for was, like yeah. NBA yeah. insiders like <laughs> us. But like NBA casual fans kind of look at that and say, LeBron's third team, all that type of stuff. Another thing was I think this is where a lot of people kind of are deciding between Bradley Beal, Clay Thompson, yeah. whoever they want, um, with that Kemba Walker spot. And that that's probably the really interesting st- starting point for us to talk about Supermax and all that type of stuff. Yeah, for sure. It w- I was looking to see if we had like I had our all NBA teams on my computer and I didn't. I believe we both had Beal in that second guard spot. I don't quite remember. We I did. I yeah. think we both went Westbrook and Beal. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then I think I I I think we got I forget if we both had Gobert we split Gobert and Towns or what right. those were two pretty um th- I thought those were the two most interesting kind of deviations probably from what I maybe expected Gobert over Towns I mean very defensible and then Kemba over kind of Beal Thompson which I disagree with a little bit more, but interesting. And like you said, why those things are interesting is now Gobert, Kemba, and Damian Lillard are all qualified for the Supermax. Clay Thompson, I I mean, the Supermax basically gives you like 25% of the cap at 
ascending raises i think mm-hmm. like five percent raises every year yeah um i don't know if you saw on twitter like just recently there was kind of a one of those kind of like side press conferency things they do after shoot around with clay thompson where he actually looked pretty pissed to not be named all nba yep, I and it makes you clip. wonder if that's just kind of a i got snub thing or if that's a hmm i kind of wanted a super max well and I think that's like too. right. And I did see that like side interview thing, and it, he did seem pissed off. Like once Kemba Walker's name was read off, you kind of got the rolling of the eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my god, I can't believe someone like that got yeah. third team All NBA. And I thought it was pretty interesting if you look at positionally um, who the players were that got All NBA. There were five point guards that got All NBA as a guard, and is that just a product of the point guard having the ball in their hands predominantly and and them basically accumulating these stats, assist and uh, points-wise, that they're able to kind of get these stats and accumulate them and look good in front of the All-NBA voters and, like, the reporters that watch them on a nightly basis, whereas, like, a spot-up shooter like Clay Thompson's not going to get as much recognition for what he does, spacing the floor and then defensively as well. Yeah, I think that you're right. Um, that's probably true, but I also think it's true that the fact of the matter is, like, that's where having Kevin Durant on your team hurts you a little bit. Like, if this were you saw in uh, sorry i got a little too close to the mic there but it, you saw in the blazers series like probably if it had just been curry thompson and uh and draymond green being the cornerstones of this team he probably would make all nba because right. he'd have much more of an uh, you know his defensive impact would probably be more noted and it still is important to what they do he's the one who mentioned you know it's hard to make it to five straight finals without having probably three really really good players on your team right um unless you're LeBron James when mm-hmm. you make it to six straight finals but he had really really good players on those heat teams at the very least but putting all that aside, I think you're right about positional kind of things factoring in. But I also think it just like sometimes comes down to and it's something we've definitely both struggled and talked about when we were making our all NBA teams. It's pretty hard to quantify someone who just by virtue of having so many good players on his team ends up becoming a little bit of and I'm doing air quotes more of a role player. So right. it's kind of hard to judge like is a role player who's pro like would you rather have Kemba Walker on or Clay Thompson on your team? I bet most front office people would say Clay Thompson. I right. certainly would, but it's kind of harder to judge that against like I understand where like somebody who like Kemba Walker who even though his team didn't even make the playoffs is kind of carrying the team night in or night out. I understand why someone would gravitate towards him when you're it kind of depends on what your criteria is for all NBA as well. Best player versus kind of like most valuable player type thing right and i mean i think there's two situations like let's take those two specific situations and kind of like flesh them out a little bit because with clay not getting the max or the super super max there's not that much of a difference between whether he stays or goes yeah in terms of if he stays with golden state he gets probably 40 to 50 million dollars more in comparison to if he went to for example, L.A., where he there's like rumors floating around that it's possible that he might end up there. I mean, does that make the difference? Whereas, on, on the other hand, 
you look at Kemba's situation and Kemba now that he qualifies for that that supermax, he's eligible, I think, for a I think it's five year two hundred twenty one million dollar yeah. contract. And yeah. that's a lot of money for a player that's proven that with the team that's currently constructed and that wouldn't give them that much uh, cap flexibility to build around him either, that it's not even a playoff team in the East at this point. So do what does that end up doing for Charlotte in terms of their calculus for trying to re-sign him and re-up him? Or does he decide, even with that extra money in play, I'm still going to turn that down and go to the Knicks or the Lakers or go to some other team uh, where it might be more advantageous for him career-wise in terms of a, like a basketball legacy type of play. Yeah, and it's interesting. I don't want to bring up everything at once, like every issue at once, and go outside the scope of your question, but it's also just interesting. In the There's been a lot of debate online about, like, wh- has this, how has the Supermax worked or, like, how has it kind of affected things? I mean, we've seen players turn down the Supermax so far. We saw Kawhi do it in San Antonio. We've seen, although it hasn't completely happened yet because Anthony Davis hasn't been traded, but AD technically has turned down the Supermax, and he'll be eligible for it on July 1st. Right. But he's kind of implicitly turned it down and requesting a trade. Theoretically, things could reverse course there, but who knows. But it's interesting because I think now with Gobert, Lillard, and Kemba being eligible, I'm the Blazers are most likely going to offer it to uh, to Lillard as per Chris Haynes reporting. But it'll be interesting to see, like, will there be a team that pulls the trigger in, like, not... We haven't seen someone not offer it to an eligible player yet, basically. Right. At least that I can remember. So it'll be interesting in seeing if a team does that, say, uh, Kemba Walker in, in Charlotte. And we can go to that scenario for a minute in, in a second. Um... But I think if you're the Warriors, aren't you kind of happy that Clay Thompson didn't make All-NBA? Because I think he's more likely to stay anyway, Mm -hmm. and you don't really want to pay him that Supermax money. Arguably, maybe almost no one over a certain age is worth that Supermax money. Arguably, Clay Thompson on a Max deal won't be a great deal by the end of the life of that deal. And they may not be able to keep Kevin Durant. They pro- It seems that like the odds are them not being able to keep Kevin Durant, but bringing back, having to offer Clay a Supermax or have kind of that threat of having to offer him a Supermax because once the Supermax is available and you don't offer it to him, what I was kind of getting at is it then seems kind trouble. of like a slap in the face, yeah, right. a disrespectful move. So, but if you had to do that for Clay, you would have kind of completely foreclosed the possibility of Kevin Durant coming back and then made things way more difficult when it comes time for Draymond Green's extension, which I think would be after next year or yep. whatever. So that's kind of how I view things from a Warrior perspective. Shifting to the Kemba Walker perspective, it's a kind of fascinating uh, dilemma or it makes their choice pretty interesting now. Because as it stood before, basically what they could do was offer him whatever max deal, that extra year, basically, you know, probably however many more millions, 40 million more than you could take somewhere else in an extra year or what have you. You were like you were going to offer that to him most likely. And then, you know, he either takes that or leaves, probably leaves based on the reporting that's kind of gone around 
after the end of the season. But now you kind of have an interesting situation on your hands because now you have the Supermax. So if you decide, and I think it's possible that the Hornets will decide this, if you decide, hey, listen, man, Kemba Walker is... We're not a very prestigious, historic franchise. Kemba Walker's arguably our... Best player ever. Yes, best player ever. This is almost kind of like a Lillard-esque situation, except Lillard's obviously a much better player than Kemba Walker is. And I'm rambling on a little. I'm coming to the end here. But you can kind of say, hey, man, we don't... Hopefully, maybe one of our uh, younger guys can take a step up. You know, we'll have draft picks. You know, maybe Malik Monk gets better. You know, we can still build around. <laughs> we'll have Batum salary coming off the books, you know, soon enough, etc., etc. Maybe you decide you just push all in. And maybe he doesn't take it anyway, and then it's fine. But your options, I think, at this point are basically offer the Supermax or let him walk, which would be a pretty, I feel like, I, I in the armchair NBA cap, guy you know us have guys with podcasts like we can be like oh they should just let him walk in that situation and i get that but i think being them and making that argument is is tough but maybe real quick before and then i'll throw it back to you to reflect on all this maybe michael jordan's also a cheapskate and like (laughs) we're gonna end up in the luxury tax every year if we do this Mm -hmm. and i i don't want to do this so you know there are kind of a lot of it, 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 it makes the choice more binary, but there are still some pretty interesting considerations that go into it, I feel like. Yeah, and I think it's a fascinating... That's that's a fascinating wrinkle about the MJ thing that I guess I didn't really think about either. But, like, with the Clay Thompson situation, I think it solidifies and clarifies it for Golden State in terms of, like, we're going to offer you the max and the max that you've earned and we're going to give you the full max, and if he turns it down to go to some other team, so be it, but it's not like we disrespected him in doing that, whereas, like you kind of uh, outlined in your argument, it it makes sense that if he was eligible for that super max slot and the Warriors offered something less than that, then he could have kind of taken offense to it, so now that's taken out of the equation and then, especially with the Charlotte um, situation with Kemba Walker, I think me and you kind of diff. Like we were texting back and forth earlier today when the All NBA teams were released, and we we're kind of there was a difference of opinion in terms of man, this really sucks for Charlotte in terms of them having to offer Kemba the supermax yeah. to be able to keep him. Um, in ter- and then if he wasn't if he wasn't on that all NBA team, then they could have offered him less. But you kind of made an interesting point that if he was wasn't eligible for that all NBA supermax type of deal, then there was more likelihood that he would end up leaving to yeah. go to go to a team like the Knicks because there there's not that much of a differential um, between Char- Charlotte's deal and the Knicks deal or the Lakers deal in terms of the money that they could be offered. And my my thing with that, and you kind of brought up the Dame uh, Lillard situation and how some of that's analogous between Lillard and Kemba. And the only thing I really want to push back on with that situation is Dame has proven that that's a playoff, a legit playoff yeah. team in the West Agreed. in comparison to what Kemba's kind of shown in yeah. the East where he hasn't shown he yeah. can take that team to the playoffs 
Um, obviously, I think the surrounding pieces are a little worse. He doesn't have that second guy like C.J. McCollum next to him. But at the same time, you would hope a player like that could get you at least the eighth spot. Especially in the East, in the East where the bottom is pretty has been pretty soft over the years right. for the most part. Right. So I think Charlotte's in this situation where we're not even a playoff team with Kemba. So so like without him if we can go to the race to the bo- like have a race to the bottom and potentially increase our odds for next year's lottery and let some of the young guys play and fill out maybe we take that chance instead of kind of hamstringing us um, while Kemba's such a nice player and all this stuff, or if they kind of want to split split the difference, maybe not offer Kemba the full, full Supermax and kind of go over what they could have offered him without without him reaching that Supermax status, but then not reaching the full, full Supermax. So something like, I don't know, five years and 200 million instead of like the instead of, like, the four-year deal that could have been offered for him uh, before the Supermax, he was Supermax eligible. Yeah. Which, like, would be, like, a nice way to be, like, well, we can save some money, like, off the top. I think that's kind of what Giannis did for the Bucks, uh before. The well, it's also bu- Giannis next year will most likely right. be Supermax eligible, true, which will true. also be an interesting discussion. Yeah, I think you're right. I I just think the tough thing and what I was kind of trying to present there, I think it's easier to like to say like, oh, you can do that and kind of split the difference. But I just think it's harder when the fact, you know what I mean? It's basically saying we don't think you're worth this thing that you've met the criteria for technically. Right, right. You know, cementing you as a superstar, and and I think it's tough to kind of to do that, especially when you're already probably at a disadvantage as it pertains to keeping him anyway. You know what I mean? Right, and I guess it says more about the franchise not willing to give that supermax than in than being like, yeah, we're still gonna be giving you more money than you would have earned, like yeah. it, and which could have. Which could be taken as an offense uh, on Kemba's side. And it'll be interesting to see a guy we haven't mentioned and hasn't been discussed as much as Rudy Gobert, who's now going to be eligible for this. I don't know what his current deal looks like, how much, y- how many years he has left, but especially seeing how this will play out as it pertains to Gobert, probably a player who's better and more valuable to his team than Kemba Walker, but plays now at a position where you probably just don't really want to pay guys a shit ton of money unless you really have to, or unless they're, like, a top-five player in the league, you know, a la maybe a Jokic or someone like that at this point, maybe, you know. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out on a team where, especially when it comes to Charlotte, and another thing that I think is interesting and plays into this is, like, do they have reluctance? And this is true in some of these small markets, though. There is there a reluctance to bottom out? Remember, not too long ago, the then uh, the then Bobcats were one of the worst teams in the league and tanking, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And this was kind of their result. So, do they want to dive back into that mire so quickly, especially in this new lottery era where tanking or the race to the bottom isn't isn't so easy and doesn't guarantee you as much? 
you know, and mm. do you want to deal with those empty arenas for three years while you, I don't really know what their attendance situation is like, but do you want to deal with that? Anyway, real quick, just to go back to the Gobert thing, and then maybe we can transition into Lillard, which has been kind of the hottest topic and the thing I'm most eager to right. defend for sure. But Gobert will be interesting because you have a guy in Donovan Mitchell behind him who, although not an all-NBA guy this year, uh, could theoretically get there and may very well get there in the next couple years and will be in line for money. So kind of how it makes the Supermax also, and this is a thing that comes in with Lillard as well, it really just makes the timing of things easy, easy um, the timing of things more imperative um, because I reject the idea that like signing someone to a Supermax eliminates you from being able to acquire other good players, but I think it drastically shifts the window because... Once that supermax kicks in, it's like a win you now. Can't really, yeah, right. you really can't do it. It makes it kind of imperative on building talent around you, like a team like Utah, where like you could go out and trade for a Conley or you know go for a, a Kyle Lowry or even like a Kemba Walker in mm-hmm. in free agency. You know, um, so yeah. yeah so the that makes I mean, it pretty I looked up Gobert's contract: twenty four million next year, twenty five the year after that so he has two years left on the deal i mean you you kind of brought up like the di- i thought the positional type of dying breed of centers is here unless you're like a multi-talented player like Embiid slash yeah. Jokic. yeah and even Jokic is like pretty tough what about towns yeah and and towns i would throw towns in that talent because if he's able to get it get more i guess defensively better yeah in that sense that that would make him one of the better centers in the league that i would be willing to pay money to gobert steven ad i I would say steven adams is kind of like in that mold, but Gobert's a better... I don't better. even know Gobert's if he's worth a regular max. Right. There's been arguments about that. Yeah, kinda. Gobert's a better player. Yeah. Like, Clint Capella had that contract-like yeah. thing last year where he was going well into the offseason without a contract uh, with the Rockets, and they're trying to play hardball and yeah. do all that type of stuff. So the value of centers right now is really dipping, and you kind of see in the current playoffs like people look at brooke lopez and you could have had that's like been the story about brooke mm-hmm. lopez when he went off in game one like any team could have had this guy for 3.7 million dollars or whatever he he went for and he's he's earned himself a lot of money probably for next year but those guys are out there those centers are out there if you're able to give them minutes and i don't know if you want to allocate that portion of your cap unless he's a really really talented player and Gobert is like one of those guys does he give you enough offensive production to warrant the amount of money that you that he'd be eligible to get in that supermax type of deal I don't know but I I think Utah has a couple more years uh to figure it out so I don't think they're too worried about that as of now um in terms of like I think another thing, just to wrap up the all-NBA talk before we transition to Blazers' um, talk, was looking at the guys that made it to the all-NBA team. And this is kind of in conjunction. Um, this is like an overarching thing, uh, theme, and in conjunction with 
uh, the draft lottery, drafting, development of players. If you look at all these guys that were on the team, none of them were former number one picks. Mm-hmm. Um, while Steph was in the lottery, Seth, he was chosen seventh. Paul George was in the lottery, tenth. James Harden, he was third. Pro- I think he was the highest guy. Jokic was a second rounder. Giannis was late lottery, 14th, 15th. So my whole thing with that, when just looking at the NBA first team, obviously it's more advantageous to have lottery players and all that type of stuff. But those lottery players can, those late lottery players can be developed into potential all-NBA guys depending on what type of structure you have in development. And obviously, it's dependent on the individual. But I think it's really interesting how this draft is being called a three-player draft right now. And with pretty much all certainty, it seems it's there's probably going to be a couple guys out there that are going to be able be in the right situation um, and be able to contribute in the right amount of way. And and it just makes me wonder, like, the NBA draft, like, industry in terms of, like, projection of picks and, like, scouting and all that stuff. It It's like, I don't, it's hard to do this stuff. Like, it's hard to project into the future and see what these guys are going to become and what, what they amount to in the future and it's really hard like Giannis like when he was coming out of the draft if you saw some of those draft tapes they're like in a gym like in Greece with grainy footage it looked like it was him in the 80s uh (laughs) being filmed so you just don't know like what these players become and and I, I think it's really interesting just looking at some of these teams um especially that first team and how players can kind of ascend depending on development well and it is a, the, the i hadn't even thought about this but also kind of like how some so many of these players on the first team this year are kind of like harbingers of like trends of you know what i mean they were taken and have now shaped the game in so many ways steph curry kind of revolutionizing the game with his shooting abilities uh, his ability to, you know, pull up for threes off the dribble. James Harden's kind of scoring ability is is pretty unique and kind of his ways of taking advantage of the game. Giannis and kind of his, you know, unicornishness at, you know, being a seven-foot guy who, you know, is also super-duper athletic. And then uh, Jokic. Jokic also. So that's kind of interesting, and finding those guys with unique skill sets, you know, is interesting. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how... Although he's a number one pick who bucks the kind of trend of what you're talking about to see how possibly Zion could could fit into that mold as time goes on as well. Right. And the one thing I didn't notice about each of those guys is like they have like this elite, elite skill that they're really, really good at. And it's things that you normally wouldn't think of that's like that important in the NBA. Like Jokic is like an elite passer. Not even just for a center, just like overall yes. elite passer, court vision, all that type of stuff. James Harden, he can get to the line at will whenever he wants, and that's like an important skill. Giannis, he's oh, he's the Greek freak. Yes. He can do things that are ridiculous. So it, it's just interesting moving forward when thinking about Zion, thinking about R.J. Barrett, John Morant, and how all the other guys project what they do 
really well, what skills they do specifically really well, and how those things fit into the future uh, for their NBA teams and situations. So I'm, I'm kind of curi- curious to see how some of those guys develop in the future. But before we get too far off track, let's talk about the Bla- Blazers' playoff run because we talked about Dame and his contract situation He's now eligible for a four-year extension for $191 million. A lot of money there. Yeah. Um, like, I think at the last the last year of his deal is going to be close to $50 million or, what, or over $50 million. And you sent me a really interesting Reddit thread that I was reading through about basically whether or not Dame was worth being offered the max you know i took it as that at first and it it did have that kind of element to it for to some extent but i also do want to give it credit it was also kind of talking about the super max in general, general and right, how right. it's hurt possibly these small market teams i didn't mean to cut you off but if anyone wants to look it up i think it's called like something along the lines of you know the trailblazers are going to have to pay damian lillard fifty million dollars when he's thirty four years old and it's gonna kill their championship chances. So if anyone wants to Google that for reference, basically. Yep. So my thing is my thing with all that wasn't like to criticize the the original poster of it. It's more just like what's the alternative? Yeah. Um do you just kind of like keep the money and you're gonna be like, all right, we're gonna just let Dame go and what a year or so and then or trade him or do whatever when you're probably the closest you've been in a really long time to making the western conference finals and although you although you guys did get swept against a warriors team without kd my whole point of with this thing and this situation was if you look at how they ended up losing it was kind of heartbreaking them leading by double digits in multiple games and then losing in comebacks from the warriors and if my whole thing is didn't have uh nurkic the whole like the whole second half of the year and he was probably their second best player um cj like before cj and cj was kind of this revelation in the playoffs that i thought wow, he looks extremely impressive, and he this moment isn't too big for him. And that seems like it's out of the question in terms of them splitting up CJ although and Dame. My, is the that ringer, no, although people, it kind of sucks that they got swept, because, and I don't think it, like, for everyone, completely reversed course on it. Like, oh, well, no, they actually can't after all. Because so much was like, oh, they have shown that they can win with this core, you know. And then I don't think it's completely turned, but you did see, like, a couple Ringer article, you know, the classic culprits in the split-up Dame and right, CJ right. brigade kind of popping back up, being like, well, and, like, kind of using the Supermax as an impetus for being, like, kind of like, well, is it really worth it, though? And, you know, I, have, I haven't I have laid it all out to you. I probably have, like, a five-minute monologue. I don't know if you have anything else that you wanted okay. to kind of say, and then you can... Let me get my... Yeah, get wa- your takes get in now. Get my take in right <laughs> now, so before I can... I'll let you go and roam free and talk about the Blazers. The one take I wanted to say, and I'm, I'm more of a half glass fold type yeah. of guy is that looking at the pi- like the west landscape yeah 
who's the second best team mm-hmm. um, after the Warriors? Most people would point to the Rockets. But Who, I by think the way, have a gigantic albatross of a contract on their hands with the Chris Paul contract right, exactly. as well. So, like, my whole thing is there's not that many teams that I would say are ascending yeah. to that second spot. I think it's the Warriors, and even if KD leaves, I think it's the Warriors, yeah. but the gap closes a little bit. And then it becomes kind of who's number two and three, and then it becomes all playoff matchup dependent, especially with what we saw this year. Yeah, Blazers making a run to the what, and that's all you kind of need. You need a little bit of luck. Maybe this is this was their one chance at that luck with KD going down and being hurt, but you just never know what ends up happening. And I think you hold on to that core as long as possible. And I would not be too like rash in making decisions about do such and such move with CJ and like try to shake things up. I think you guys have a good thing going. And it's for me, it's not that attractive to be like, oh, we got swept. It, it's just too simple to say we got swept. Now we have to change something because this is how the. Like, the Warriors, they're going to get older, too. Steph, Clay, obviously, they're impressive. But Draymond's extension's coming off. He's looked really good in the playoffs, and that's, like, one of these mitigating factors that what kind of Draymond are the Warriors going to get in the future, especially if he gets a big long-term contract? Is he going to be kind of what we saw in the regular season this year or is it going to be something like we've seen in the playoffs so for me if I'm a Blazers fan I'm this optimistic type of person where I would be like wow they made a Western Conference Finals run I try to keep it together at least probably one to two more years and then like honestly we've talked about this before my thing is what can they do with the other ancillary pieces when they have money off the books in terms of Myers, Leonard, Evan Turn. Can they improve those two spots mm-hmm. enough? And I'm not sure how all the money and the cap space is going to work out with Dame's uh, Supermax kicking in, but are they going to be able to improve those two spots enough for them to compete within two years' time? And I think if that that's the time where if the Blazers are going to hit, it's that one year right after they bring in new guys for Evan Turner and Myers Leonard. Yeah, no, 100% agreed, and I was I was going to get there. So with that, I'll present kind of my unified Damian Lillard theory. And we should talk about the series at some point. I don't really want to in this spiel, but we can talk about it and maybe what even it pretends for the Warriors going forward in this playoff run. But real quick, I think I can do this in like two to three minutes because you raised a lot of good points that overlapped with things I was going to say. First and foremost, I think Lillard is kind of the most interesting Supermax case so far. There are four guys in the league, I believe, on Supermax deals. Two of them are obviously worth it. They're Steph Curry and James Harden. And two of them are obviously not worth it. John Wall and (laughs) Russell Westbrook. Sorry, my DC friends. And that's simplifying a little bit. Um, John Wall was probably never worth it. And John Wall's kind of the cautionary tale for the Blazers because I think John Wall got that. I don't know if they were in the conference finals or the second round, but basically coming off a really good second playoff round. Run. Second round 
where John Wall jumps onto the table yeah. against Boston and then proceeds to lose the next game. Yeah, but um, you know, they're kind of the cautionary tale maybe of like, um, well, be careful, you know, just because you have one year of good playoff success led by a good player doesn't mean they're worth this thing. But first and foremost, let's why I think it's interesting is I think Damian Lillard falls between those two categories. He's not a Steph Curry. He's not a James Harden. He's not a he's just right below those really, really elite players. But he's different than Russell Westbrook and John Wall. One, he's proven pretty much, unlike those two guys, that he's able to pretty much to close to carry a team to the playoffs by himself. He's had C.J. McCollum, but, you know, he's gone farther in the playoffs than Westbrook with Paul George. Right. What you will. Injuries and stuff play into it. They weren't completely healthy, but the Blazers weren't completely healthy, you know, and he doesn't rely. Even if he knock on wood, prayer hands emoji, even if he blew out his Achilles, he, he would come back a more useful player than John Wall is because he can shoot and, you know, be a you know his game will age more gracefully than those other two players. So that's point one. Before you get into point one, what what I <laughs> that was point two point yes. two, what I constantly ask people about, like, and I think this is kind of going around Twitter too. Like, who would people rather have, Dame Lillard or Russell Westbrook? And a lot of people say Westbrook. And Do people still say Westbrook? Well, well I, think, I don't know, but well, I think. Dame's kind of like uncovered what I think before the playoffs. If you ask that question, I would say seventy-five percent would say Westbrook. Hmm. Okay, maybe maybe six, okay. sixty to seventy-five. No, maybe that's I think true. They I see, think it's so clearly Lillard, but maybe no, I'm no. wearing my blazer-colored glasses. And I, I on think that. now people are seeing the truth, kind of like yeah. being unveiled to them with Lillard hitting the shot and all that type of stuff, mm-hmm. and they're being more focused on the Blazers this year. Um, so I just think like Dame's kind of been this hidden gem cornered in this Pacific Northwest, not people not watching his games and all that type of stuff and him not getting the respect that maybe Westbrook gets on the national level. So, I mean, I just kind of wanted to add that and say like, yeah, Dame, I think is, I would rather, if I'm starting NBA 2K team, I'm probably taking Dame over Russell Westbrook. Yeah, uh, I think it's pretty much a no-brainer in that respect. And also, I'll go a step further. I think he's better than Kyrie Irving. I think he's the second-best point guard in the NBA. You were the one who just mentioned all the glut of good point guards. Doesn't the second-best point guard in the NBA, or even if it's just arguably, I think if you pulled people at this point, or I think it kind of bears out, Lillard made it to the Western Conference Finals with probably a worse team than Boston in a better conference, although, you know, different different, different matchup situations. But Kyrie has not shown the ability to lead lead a team to a good result. You know what I mean? So taking all that all into account, I think, you know, he has a very, at the very least, a very viable claim to second best point guard in the league. Yeah. And probably with the importance of that position that guy deserves to be paid you know Mm -hmm. that much money all right go on to point two yes with all that in mind point two is all the stuff about west uh about lillard's valuableness to the franchise etc etc you know that stuff can't be spoken for you know what i mean a guy who's shown so much loyalty 
pretty much has never raised any sort of stink in his career. He met with Paul Allen once, and nothing really came. You know, no unrest came of it, pretty much. You know, whatever. He's arguably going to be the best Blazer ever when it's all said and done. He's definitely in the top three as of right now, depending on your allegiances to Bill Walton and Clyde Drexler. Two guys who I would point out didn't spend their entire careers in Portland. I mean, Bill Walton isn't even considered a Portland guy. Probably right. if I asked most of my friends, like, Boston. did, yeah, but. I think yeah, some of my well, friends don't even yeah. know that Bill Walton played and was on that kind of 77 yeah. championship team. So, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. His valuableness to the franchise. And I also think point two, part B that you mentioned, the championship question, the, well, are you foreclosing your championship possibilities? You laid out the great point of kind of the Warriors and the Flux in the West, there's really no team you can point to and be like, in three years, they're 100% going to be better than Portland. The yeah. Nuggets are going to lose Millsap. You know, maybe Michael Porter Jr. comes on the scene and that is sense. incredible. Or um, Jamal Murray becomes an all-NBA guy. It's possible. The Rockets, there's questions about whether they're a viable team as currently constructed yeah. and on down the line. So I won't, you know, um, I won't, harp on that point too much i think you made a good point of pointing it out but even so the other point i'd like to make is if they never win the championship who care i don't really care if they never win the championship with this current core i think there is obviously that's your ultimate goal but i do think there's a point where you have to say this team this core has pretty much made the playoffs every year i'm a pretty spoiled fan mm -hmm. uh as a blazer fan they've missed the playoffs one or two years and this will be my 10th season coming up of of being a fan that's pretty good and they always you know have at the very least an enjoyable season with now varying le levels of playoff success so you don't offer him the supermax which probably causes a rift it's unfortunate and we could go into maybe problems with the supermax at the end of this Arguably, the Blazers are the one team where it's unfortunate that the Supermax is available to them because I think Lillard is such a rare breed that it's possible that if you could just offer him the regular Max Taking and the Supermax didn't yeah. exist. I don't think he would take less money now that the Supermax is on the table, but in a world where it didn't exist and we were in the old regime, it's very possible he would have taken that kind of old maximum deal. Right. So that's unfortunate. But I think now in a world where you don't offer him the Supermax, you're very, if it's not a guarantee that he'll leave or you trade him, it's a very, very strong possibility. So real quick, I don't want to ramble on too long. But what does that do? So you trade him for some assets. You probably tear the whole team down for basically the hope that you get to this level again. You know yeah. what I mean? So, you know... Hindsight will always be 2020. There's a chance that we're still doing this podcast in two years, and I go, fuck. Yeah. CJ, like, you know, all these guys got hurt. Yusuf Nurkic came back and wasn't so good. Blah, blah, blah. And they really fall off. But I think the more likely, if we play out Doctor Strange playing out the million scenarios of what's going to happen, the likely scenario is they remain in the four, five, three, six portion of the West for the next few years. And that's fine. And maybe in that last two years, that last year, his contract is a burden. But maybe it's not. Mike, 
this was a point I was making to my friends in a group chat. And feel free to jump in at okay. any point here yeah, just yeah, to yeah. break things up. Remember when Mike Conley signed that gigantic deal where he was the highest paid player in the NBA? Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, my God, this is going to be horrible. Guess who's in trade talks this past uh, trade deadline with two years left on his deal yeah and Mike and Conley yeah in five years maybe the cap has gone up another hundred million because they've sold their TV like another TV deal will happen another uh, sports con- betting another rights CB- and all yeah, exactly that another CBA will have been negotiated who knows what the league is going to look like five years from now so to look five years down the road and be like because this might not work out we shouldn't do it I think is a pretty short-sighted view of thinking or it's too top-down it doesn't take into account the actual franchise enough i think it requires a lot of luck and timing i mean you can kind of point to the warriors situation and them kind them being lucky with how they orchestrated the cap space and then the new cba kicking in for them to be able to acquire someone like kd in that really rare situation and i think that's like you you have to obviously have that level of foresight if you're in the NBA front office to project those type of things, but it's also really difficult to project how much money's going to be coming in into the future uh, regarding like future CBA deals and how that money is going to come into yeah. a team and how they're able to spend their money. I mean, there's a couple things that I did want to hit on um, in terms of like blazers like terry stott's resigning oh for sure could um, we talk about could i hit one more point before we yeah, go on sure though? i'll keep it like yeah, yeah. what's up were you gonna say something no else no on and that? then yeah talk about like do you sign enos Cantor? do you sure like i can the, think i can wrap it all up in one yeah, thing yeah. because you made a really good point about like the evan turner myers leonard right, of right. the world and i think an interesting point to tie into what you said about the timing foresight stuff you see that on the blazers just like as an example on the negative and the positive like for example you have your evan turners your who exemplify the 20 summer of 2016 where you're like oh the money's coming in and it's never going to stop the cap's going to keep booming booming and it doesn't and you're stuck True. with that yeah. and you know there are lessons to be learned from that but on the other hand alfru Camino, i remember was signed in the summer of 2015 to a four-year 36 million dollar deal right that at the time was looked at people it wasn't like complete what the fuckery like timofey mozgov's Mm -hmm. contract or something but people were like this guy's complete you're paying a marginal starter nine million like that's insane when in reality he ended up being a very team-friendly contract going forward so there's that so let me go point three and final point on all the Lillard stuff which is what do they do going forward and I think we can tie it into their offseason here as well we'll talk about this summer in a minute but I want to jump to summer 2020 which is interesting, and what I was talking to you about earlier when I said that signing someone to a Supermax doesn't completely close your window, it just shrinks it. Right. Summer 2020 is when Myers Leonard and Evan Turner and Mo Harkless will come off the books. They will have about $20 million in cap space. That now becomes their chance to do something unfortunately it's not a great draft it's not a great free agent class it doesn't project to be a great free agent class but maybe in that time you're accumulating assets for a trade or something something or other yeah so the fact that and this is before 
Lillard's extension kicks in and it'll be the last year of CJ's contract. CJ will be up in 2021, which will kind of be interesting to see. I think that'll be the next point to see, like, where are they? And there will be a possible off-ramp there. Maybe if things mm-hmm. go awry, Lillard's still tradable in two years and you can blow it up then. Right. So, you know, the options don't completely go away. But the fact, I think that's something people, an outside observer, wouldn't necessarily know. That, like, actually, in a year, the Blazers are still going to have cap space despite all this. And people, you've seen OKC, for example, they were able to re-sign Paul George and, you know, Westbrook to this max. Now they have one of the highest payrolls in the league. But that's because they also signed Steven Adams to a pretty rough-looking contract. And they have Dennis Schroeder on their books, who's overpaid. So it's not impossible, I think, to create a pretty good team without a Supermax. Yeah, it's... With a Supermax. Right, right. That's the one thing I'm going to be really curious about in the future when looking at that Blazers team is who they're going to fill for that $20 million. Yeah. Because it's not quite enough for this new age, like, Max, that you're going to be able to acquire this, like, top, top player, but are they going to be able to get this like nice third piece which it seems like they kind like they have the number one guy in dame the number two guy is being filled pretty nicely with um with mccollum and we'll see like how nurkic does when he comes back yeah but if they're able to get a number three or four guy with that 20 million dollar slot that's gonna be quite attractive like Especially if they can get a wing, like a bigger wing player, um, and for like twenty million, like four years, eighty million dollars, like that would be. And I don't, I haven't looked at the free agent class of twenty twenty to really. There aren't just a lot of like really good players at the top, but in who knows, maybe in that kind of tier two class, like there will be someone of that. Right, right. Like I wonder, like not that. It's like a hypothetical, but like if someone like Tobias Harris yeah. w- was available yeah. uh, for 2020, would that be something attractive? And does that kind of make the Blazers attractive moving forward? You know, wh- we'll kind of see. But I, the the couple things that I did want to touch on with the Blazers to wrap up yeah. was Terry Stotts, like quick reaction about that. For me, I think like, there's no way you're going to get rid of him at this yeah. point anymore. Agreed. So, like, good signing there. He's like, one of the most – he's proven himself to be a top third coach in the league, I think, pretty much. He's actually improved, I think, as the years gone on, have gone on. I mean, like, could he have coached better in the Warriors series? Probably. I have some qualms to pick about. I don't like how much he played Evan Turner down the stretch. I think the it Evan allowed – Myers Leonard? I think – I'm fine with Myers, Myers Leonard, Leonard, honestly. I think he acquitted what you're. He scored 25 points and a half. Like yeah. you're gonna really complain about yeah, him. You know yeah, what I mean? I guess not. I I don't really know what you can do there. I'd complain more about like Turner being in there down the stretch because, like, I don't want to go off on this kind of tangent either. But like, basically, you allow Draymond Green, who's guarding him, to play center field and not guard him. He doesn't add that much on defense, and he got out rebounded by bigger guys anyway. So at that point, I'd rather have like Rodney Hood at the four and yeah. be playing a three guard lineup. But like, anyway, the point I was really making is like, minor qualms aside, if you replace Steve, uh, if you replace Stotts with like 
not like let's take Greg Popovich out of the question. Who's like the second best NBA coach right now? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. even know. But like Brad Stevens' stock took a hit. Sure, but even you yeah. replace him with Brad Stevens, you switch him with Steve Kerr, yeah. you put in Mike Malone. Who get take your pick? Are any of those guys faring much better? I nope. don't. I don't think so. So yeah. I I can't complain there. Uh, once again, agree. It's basically just something you have to do. Right, right. And then quick and I'm thought, happy about quick it. thoughts on Canner possibly coming so, back. So okay, is that is that I'll, gonna happen? I'll or? run down their 2019 possibility. I don't want to do like 40 minutes. I'm sure you don't want to do like 40 minutes on the Blazers, but I think I can kind of no, I'm into project it. this as an <laughs> A B scenario basically. Yeah. So. They basically have door A and door B this this offseason. One is kind of be an over-the-cap team. You, you re-sign Aminu, you're probably in the luxury tax, and at that point, you can only bring Canner back on a minimum, so right. it's probably not happening. Impossible. At yeah. that point, say you re-sign Aminu, even if you don't re-sign Aminu, Aminu you're still over the cap, but maybe you re-sign Layman and blah, 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 do yeah, a couple yeah. things. You only have, like, a very small exception. So, basically, you can offer, like, Seth Curry, $4 million up to four years. Maybe he takes that, maybe he doesn't. Or you can offer Rodney Hood, like, $4.7 million across how many years. Mm-hmm. And maybe he takes that, maybe he doesn't. And then you have that money, like, a $4 million kind of exception to fill out the team with if both of those guys don't want to come back anyway i would probably take hood over curry but i think curry's more signable and i think canner as much as he loves this organization i think in that scenario he's gone yeah so that's door a door b which i think is more intriguing is you probably let aminu walk which could happen anyway Mm -hmm. we don't have to go down the road of like do i think they should re-sign aminu or not I think it's probably time to make some kind of change. Like maybe you move Harkless to the four and try and sign a three. You know, easier said than done. There's a dearth of threes in the league. Mm -hmm. But, you know, maybe you do that. But, you know, regardless, the interesting kind of move in this going under the cap scenario is you maybe let Aminu walk and you try and trade one of the Turner Leonard guys. And take on possible more money in the future? Or you just just dump them. You attach your first-round pick this year and see if anyone wants to do it. Like, Mm. maybe Cleveland wants to do that or or what have you. Right. Whatever. I think it's pretty doable at this point because they're also expirings. They come Mm. off the books. Right. So, at that point, you go under the salary cap and you get the full mid-level at your disposal. Mm -hmm. Maybe at that point, you can bring back Hood and Turner I yeah. mean, Hood and, and Cantor, or you can go out and sign another guy, sign uh, whoever, ta- I don't know who's really available, right. but some guy at the, you know, you can't, he's too expensive, but like someone slightly below like a Bogdanovich level guy, yeah. you know, whoever that guy is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an intriguing option, and that's kind of the route I would rather them go, 
get under the cap this year, especially with who knows what ownership will look like. They were in right. the luxury tax this year. You want to probably not be in the luxury tax because once that supermax kicks in, it's going to be pretty hard to not be in the luxury tax. Mm. So that would kind of be the route I would favor. And I think what will be interesting this year will be to see how Olshay, Pro- Neil Olshay, who's the pr- president of basketball operations, how he processes this offseason and the decisions he makes in terms of keeping it, running it back, which is pretty much available to him, although it'll be running him back, running it back minus a couple guys probably, or making minor changes. Right. What's, I mean, you touched upon ownership possible changes. Is that like a, do you do you have like a reading or a feel on pretty what much that hard to tell right now? Yeah, yeah. You have some speculation from people saying, I "Touched my phone and made it all fuzzy." I apologize, but um, you have kind of league source types saying it's very unclear, and you have Neil O'Shea saying Jody Allen loved this playoff run and she's keeping. She's the team. all in. She not all in, but like at least in the short term she's committed to spending and you right. know so the stats extension is the first is the first kind of blood domino in that signing Lillard to a supermax is more evidence in the fact right. of and arguably staying over the cap and going into the luxury attacks this year would be more evidence that you know mm-hmm. things are trending in the direction of her being the owner for at least the foreseeable future now if they start to cut 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 that's arguably a sign that like they're preparing the team for sale. You want cleaner books probably mm-hmm. going forward to make the team more attractive financially to to a potential right. owner. So it's kind of like remains to be seen, mm. but seems stable for now would be my assessment in the short term at yeah. least. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens in two years time with yeah. this with this Blazers team and like with all of that, like it's. We didn't even really talk about the Golden State. Wars. Like, I just like, don't have that much to say. Yeah, they blew three seventeen-point leads. Like, it is what it is. What struck me, what I'll say struck me is how good Golden State looked. <laughs> pretty yeah. much is what struck yeah. me. I was ready to come into this podcast saying, unfortunately, what's happened in the Eastern Conference now has complicated things. As Anyone who listened to our last podcast may know I bailed on the Raptors and said I thought the Bucks were going to win the series. And I was really excited to come in here and say, like, Bucks in six, like they're yeah. going to win it all. And I thought that would be a really good take to bring in. But watching the Warriors and how effective they were able to be, even without Durant, and it's been reported today that Durant and Boogie Cousins Which won't, is surprising. won't be available for the start of the finals, but could come back yeah and who knows but i'll say that how well golden state looked made me feel slightly better about the blazers loss although i'm disappointed but i'm kind of able to rationalize pretty well like who cares if they had won five versus four really doesn't make that much of a difference it doesn't offset the accomplishments of what happened prior to that and you know even those accomplishments like Sure, they didn't beat like an elite team necessarily, but they beat two also very good teams that they were predicted to lose against in both um, mm-hmm. scenarios. And as you mentioned, without Nurkic. So I'm able to kind of internalize all of that very well. But I think the most important thing going forward is I think the Warriors, 
you know, I'm not going to start a, like, are they better without KD? Do they need KD thing? I think that's kind of, like, a futile exercise. But I think they did... I do think they did rediscover something, and it made me more confident in them in terms of, like, possibly being a favorite in in a final series, even without Kevin Durant. Yeah, and that... I think what impressed me about Golden State's team were... were yeah, we kind of knew, like without KD like some of these star players had to step up like Clay like yeah. Steph like Draymond especially Draymond's like sure. him stepping up but the other guys that impressed me like Iguodala the, was Iguodala. Incre- pretty I mean he was unfortunately hurt in game 4 which they still right. lost but I thought he played pretty incredible and he shot, like the thing is he shot well from the outside from 3 I think he shot like 36 or 37 to 38% uh and then also like Someone like McKinney kind of stepped up too. Um, Looney played very well at times. Loon- I thought. I thought Looney like kind of earned himself a decent contract for next year as well. Like he was doing his role, rebounding, getting some lobs, getting some like easy dunks, layups around the rim. So even some of those guys stepped up that you don't really expect much out of, and. At times, they showed it during the regular season, but it's pretty impressive to kind of see, oh, these are some of the guys that we can rely on in big playoff situations if you're the Golden State Warriors. And it just, for me, it kind of cements things like, is it even a question as them? Like, even if the Bucks or Toronto, whoever comes out of the East, does it change that much whoever comes out of the East, what the result of the finals, or... Like, do you think out of the Bucks or the the Raptors, do you think they have any shot at... Oh, yeah. I definitely yeah. think they have a shot, especially if KD doesn't play. It'll be interesting. I think it's possible that if the Bucks come out, Vegas puts the Bucks as a favorite. But I'm, I'm, not, okay. I'm not sure. But here's the thing I will say. Both... Toronto and uh, Toronto and the Bucks will have better personnel to guard the Warriors than right. the Blazers did. The fact of the matter is their guards it struggle. The Blazer guards struggle as defensively improved as they've been. They struggle to get around screens. Uh, Aminu did not look up to the task in the series, unfortunately, which kind of factors into my possible let him walk ideas whatever putting all that aside you know Cantor, blah 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 collins looks fine but not ready all that better guards defensively be it lowry or bledsoe and brogdon you know and danny green better defensive forwards and Giannis and Kawhi leonard but the thing that's interesting is like for both of those teams those centers look important to what they do even if they're not great all the time mm-hmm. like Lopez has been pretty integral to their playoff success I would say right you know in games like you could argue like their smaller lineups the Bucks smaller lineups like that are more focused on like Miritich and stuff haven't fared as well in this Toronto series which I find interesting and on Toronto's um side of things Gasol less important like he hasn't ever had to like take on much of a scoring burden but he is definitely important I think in the in the flow of their offense a lot of times and I think they would lose something if they were like playing Ibaka at the five and like Mm. Toronto wasn't playing 
the qu- the point I'm trying to make is, I time and time again the Warriors have been able to minimize centers, minimize centers, minimize centers. Right. So I wonder for either of those teams when they're able, when they get to a potential Warrior series, or any are either of them able to play in their preferred style against a Warriors team, even without KD, be it for the entire series or three, four games. Right. I just don't know how the Bucks really play Lopez 20 minutes, 25 Basically, you do game. what they did with Cantor, I think, is, which is like when Bo gets in the game, you get to play. Otherwise, yeah. you pretty much don't. Yeah. And yeah, and then the Meritich lineup is going to be really important for the Bucks if they make the finals just to see. And he needs to improve his shooting to even get out of the Toronto yeah. series. Like him and Bledsoe struggled. Bledsoe's been horrible. Like, like Bledsoe at this point. Bledsoe, I feel like Lowry, like the ring curse, like he mm. gave his ring playoff curse to Bledsoe or right, something right. like that. Because Lowry's been really good, but Bledsoe's looked pretty much Pr- like shit. Really bad. So if Bledsoe struggles continue, do like I don't know if the Bucks even make it out of this series. And uh, we're recording this on the night of game five. Yep. So you'll people will probably hear it at after game five concludes. So, you know, who, who knows what happens. I haven't abandoned you, Toronto. Anyone that <laughs> listens in Toronto, I have not abandoned you. Um, so I still think it's possible Toronto can make the run. It's I think it's a little harder and a little bit more predictable in terms of what Toronto is going to do. Mm-hmm. Give it to Kawhi, and it's a lot more Kawhi centric. But I, but Lowry. Although I'll say to be fair, I don't have so much of a great read on this series. I haven't watched as much of it as I'd like to. I've seen bits and pieces of every game, but I, especially game one and two, I didn't get to see so much of. Yeah. But I think Lowry has been very, very good in this no, series. No, he's, he's been effective, but... Like in what? game four, Kawhi didn't even play that well. Right. Or, but I do agree. I wasn't trying to say... Right, right. I, I, I just think back to game seven of the last series. But I agree like that their offense is more... You pretty much know what you're getting night in and night out a little bit more. Right. Whereas the Bucks, it kind of comes from different places. Like, I've been impressed by the Brogdon Hill um, yeah. uh, backcourt for um, the Bucks, who those two guys have outplayed Bledsoe by a for ton. Sure. Um, there, there was talk like... Does Bledsoe see a reduction of minutes in favor of some of those guys getting yeah. more minutes? I don't know if that's the right move to do. Even though he's struggling a lot, you just I I think if you're a Bucks fan, you kind of hope like he gets it going at home tonight and see sees what happens. Yeah, like yeah. yeah, yeah. And then yeah, I just kind of wonder if you see you get something out of him just to have some confidence it'll be interesting to see i know there's been talk of the bucks possibly doing another starting lineup change meaning another meaning they did one in the last series as well yeah. to great success inserting M- miritich and taking out sterling brown but i think it's been speculated maybe you roll with hill maybe you take out miritich and do some kind of smaller lineup something something along those lines it'll be really interesting to see for sure but um What's what struck me the one thing that I think is interesting is just I've been thinking a lot about in this series like dictating the pace of play and both teams like to run but in those Bucks games I, I was seeing the Bucks kind of like 
really play it like almost a frenetic pace. You know, Giannis yeah. coming down the floor, doing that thing where he gets into the lane and kicks it out to a shooter, all that. Whereas I feel like in the Toronto games, although the game was played at a high place, Toronto was able to do that classic wall off Giannis and force other guys into making plays. Brogdon had actually kind of a rough offensive game four. Although I, one thing I will say, I'm super duper impressed by his def- He's always been known as a great defender, but on especially Kawhi. when he's on Kawhi, like yeah. how he's able to like make it be difficult. that much smaller, but still like be a f- an effective defender is is pretty unbelievable. This dude wasn't playing. Yeah. He wasn't playing, and the fact yeah. that he's been able to kind of been thrown get thrown into yeah. the fire, like here you're defending Kawhi, basically, is pretty insane, especially with the amount of movement he has to do on, like, that foot that he had injured. And to not play for basically two months and then come back and look pretty much what he looked like in the regular season has been very impressive. And the Giannis thing has been, like, games three and four, he didn't look great. Like, game four, he got it got it back, shot nine for 17, I think, for 25 points in comparison to his game three where he went five for 16 for 12. Like, he really needs... But the thing is, like, in that game four, he didn't look assertive. Like, I think that's the struggle that he's going to have to figure out and see, like, we need to figure out how Giannis is going to be effective and have the ball in his hands a little bit more. Uh, for them to kind of come back in the series. And I think that's where once the game, and you talked about the pace in terms of it being a fairly high pace uh, series, especially, I think it's going to start to slow down in this game mm. um, and see possessions kind of slow down and maybe see the ball in Giannis's hands a little bit more. And pe- and I think he's going to be going to feel especially motivated, especially since they weren't able to get a win on the road against Toronto. so Yeah, I was wondering, I, I was trying to look up on my computer, do you know what the line is for this game? Um, I was going to say that I think the team that wins tonight wins the series. I think if the Bucks come back and bounce back strong, I think they I think they win the series. And I think if Toronto wins, they maybe even win in, in six. six. So it's seven and a half. So um, Bucks are pretty prohibitive favorites. Right. Which which is interesting. Which is interesting. I mean, I'm. I wonder if it's they're just going by the home, kind of the home team, thinking, especially with the way the the series has played out. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if the rap or the Raptors are able to come in and make it a game. Yeah. Because there have been two blowouts and then two close games, and the Raptors looked out of it in, like, game three. Yeah, game three was the one very good game, and they were lucky to come away with that game for sure. I wanted to also shout out Norman Powell, like, who's been pretty great in those, who was pretty great in those two games at home and gave them a boost off their bench, whereas the Bucks, as you've always kind of hit on over and over, Hill has been great, but, like, when you look at kind of the ancillary pieces, I would say Toronto in the games they've won especially has has gotten the better of it in in the mm-hmm. series so far. So I think that's going to be huge for the Bucks, especially argue. I think that's up there in importance for me as much as Giannis's yeah. productivity. Yeah, and you brought up Gasol too, who I think is going to have to make some of those outside shots of to kind yeah. of like force 
Lopez or whoever's guarding him to come out on him a, a little bit. He kind of has this like pump fake thing yeah. where he he'll drive by, kick, and try to f- start the offense that way. Like he needs to start making some of those shots. Like not even at thirty six percent, but like thirty percent. Mm-hmm. Like not at the twenty percent um, rate because then at least it forces guys to have the defense shifting and do all those types of things. So couple of the highlights there I, I just think it's really interesting we went an hour in talking about offseason stuff which is probably honestly the most fascinating stuff yeah even during western conference eastern conference like semi you know finals time and it's just like pretty fascinating to like see what happens during these games leading up to the finals and if it really changes anything, especially with the offseason implications, both the Raptors and the Bucks have um, moving forward, depending on who wins and loses, especially Toronto. And yeah, whether Toronto or not, for sure. Right, whether or not Kawhi stays. Like, and I think that's going to be the fascinating thing. Does Kawhi just stay, or does like, especially if they make the finals and it's like, uh, let's say they lose in six or something. Like and it's a fairly close series yeah. against Golden State. Does he leave that to kind of roll the dice and go? All right, I'm moving to L.A., guys. See ya. I have no idea because uh, the fact of the matter is we don't know. I know nothing about this dude and what he values and what he cares about. But I'll say this: I think the more games they win, the more that meter ticks Increases, up, and the harder yeah. and harder it gets to leave. And I think in a situation where you that you just outlined if i'm him i would stay but you know who knows but i think once you make it to the finals and then especially if you're competitive it um yeah then it's becomes really really hard to leave i think right if they lose this series uh, i think he's probably gone so toronto's uh, fan base kind of reminds me of like the boyfriend and girlfriend that knows that (laughs) their partner is too good for them and you're just trying to hope and do everything possible to hold on to them so it's kind of funny to see like all these toronto fans basically like going crazy oh yeah like the offering in the penthouse and stuff like that exactly and drake's antics like coach that was funny that him rubbing nick nurse's shoulders was was wild and i I think he got a call after that game being like, dude, Yo, you, you, you can't that. do that. <laughs> like, f- for all the, like, clout he's given that franchise, like, you earned something. But, like, that that, that was pretty wild. And that me. was the real reason why I was happy that Toronto won game four. Because we're guaranteed a game six back in Toronto to see some of Drake's antics. Hopefully, Drake's there at the game. I'm sure he'll be there. So, so going fun. forward, let's just, I'm going to pick... I guess I'm a traitor. And now, especially if Toronto wins, I'm going to look like a huge asshole because it's like I got it right, but also, also got, got it wrong and got both wrong right. at the same time. Yeah. But I am going to say I think the Bucks win tonight, and I think they win a game six and win it in six. Are you going to say Toronto in six or seven? No, I think, I, I think Toronto's going to win in seven. Okay. Like, if they're going to win, it's going to be in seven. This game five is really important obviously because the next game's elimination i just have a feeling even if the bucks win game five tonight toronto comes back and wins game six and then game seven you just never know and i like not that i don't trust Giannis because i think Giannis is probably the best player in this series 
it's one of those things that maybe there's confidence that I have in Kawhi over Giannis in yeah, a big playoff that's situation. Fair. One thing I was going to point out real quick, not to tie everything back to Lillard, but it's just interesting. I saw this, I don't know if it was on ESPN or whatever, but when you <laughs> look at like top players in the league, like Giannis has had stretches of struggles in the playoffs, Harden stretches of struggles mm-hmm. in the playoffs, Curry stretches of struggles in the playoffs. Like it's really, really hard to go an entire playoff and not have like Be a three game right. stretch where you're not doing too well. Like Kawhi is arguably the exception to the rule and then K D was the exception to the rule before he went yeah. down. So I, I just think it's interesting. And I, I thought it was interesting that the Bucks are favored by so much tonight. But I think the fact of the matter is they, pr- I don't think they've lost three games in a row this all, whole season. all year. Yeah, yeah. So I, I bet that fa- has fa- factors I into it a lot, too. I don't know if I was listening to the broadcast right in the last game, but I think they were saying this was the f- second time Yeah, it was only the year. second time yeah, they lost they two in a row. To ba- or yeah. lost back-to-back. So, and that's kind of, cra- that's like a crazy stat of it. You know, like, it's just like... I don't it's it's pretty tough to imagine the Bucks losing tonight. Um like and I think they actually win tonight, but Toronto comes back, wins game six, and then game seven you just yeah have no idea yeah. what happens. So I'll take my chances, especially if the Toronto prediction's still alive since the beginning <laughs> of the playoffs. Then yeah, I'm, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm still taking it. And I it. think we both now, I was trying to think, we both probably picked the Celtics to go to the finals yeah, at the beginning we, of the season. Yeah, right? not looking great at all, especially <laughs> with the Kyrie stuff. Yeah, and there's all that drama, too, that we, I don't know if you wanted to rehash now. Nah, but we, could we, probably can, we have a whole we, NBA offseason right, to talk about We have a, this. Lot, a well, lot. The one thing we have to get to, though, are we about to do it? Yeah. What? Smash the beer glass. The beer glass <laughs> is coming down the coming down the the bar I'm ready. as we I'm speak. Ready. Bar rescue Lakers at it again. Uh you can set it up though. So uh, it's just oh man, I don't even like <laughs> it's these like, we've done this segment in varying forms, I feel like seven times. Like it's I, always near I, the end. It's always you just being exasperated, tossing it to me, like to be mad for five minutes, and then we're just like, like, Well, what's gonna it's happen? It's one next? of those things where you don't want to talk about it yeah. because everyone else is talking this about you have it, to talk but you about kind that. of have to bring it yeah. up and this has been probably the past five podcasts that we've done we've talked about the lakers drama and all the things that have happened with magic johnson rob Polinka, the front office genie bus are they competent franchise organization are they run like a family organization like we've talked about before um a a team that's worthy of a reality television show um you know like someone needs to come in to fix they need an outside consultant to like fix the team but basically the the new development here is magic johnson um appearing on first take with Stephen a smith and um max kellerman and talking about all the things that are going on uh or I guess he was unveiling a lot of the things that were happening behind the scenes with this Lakers organization. And I I just found it really fascinating that he didn't really hold back, especially against like his beloved Lakers and him being such an integral part of that organization. And I I would have thought he would have been a little bit more 
diplomatic diplomatic about it and been like yeah i just wanted to transition it, the move wasn't the right f- or the 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 position wasn't the right fit for me yeah all of this type of stuff but i think he was hearing a lot of the chatter and he alluded sure. to that in the in the first take interview where he would hear things and be like that's not true about me and he needed to clear his good name um and i think it was a PR type of thing for like Lakers fans to be like, "Hey, I I was doing my job. I was doing all the things." <laughs> Do you think right. it worked? I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, it yeah, definitely not. So I mean, yeah. So on Bar Rescue, they'll do these things called back to the bar, and now it's become like Taffer's so big that it's kind of a talk show type thing. So like he'll g- talk about a bar he's been to, and then he'll send out one of his scouts to check it out and they'll go and a lot of times like and then they'll cut to a remote where it's like oh they've they haven't implemented ev- anything Taffer's doing and that's why they're failing blah 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 and then they'll bring out the owner and Taffer will talk to them and like yell at them and I feel like that's what needs to happen with Magic Johnson right now right like you're I think you're right about the PR aspect of it and it's kind of weird because things were simultaneously not like nothing was really that shocking that he said. And you were talking to me about this before we came in. Like, wow, there are way too many people who have a voice and it's not like a defined structure for decision making and blah, 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 blah. And Genie Bus basically like whoever gets her ear last wins. I'm not really surprised to hear that. I'm not surprised to hear that Palinka and Magic were on the si- weren't on the same page a lot of the time. That's pretty well reported. I'm not even that surprised to hear that like Magic didn't thought it was more of a figurehead position where like he would make kind of the final dis- like we were talking about this like he you were telling me talking to me before about this and it's something he said during the interview kind of like I was kind of expecting to be the guy with the final say. Yeah. And it that wasn't the case. And I simultaneously, I wasn't expecting to necessarily be there all the time. I was kind of just expecting to come in and kind of guide th- be the invisible hand who puts on a great public face and then like guides things, which is a little idealistic, I would say, but uh I'm not even that surprised to hear that, but at the same time when you hear it like the stupidity of it all really just does jump out at you i think yeah whether it be him saying that like he had to stop going to movies on sunday nights as like a big sacrifice i gave my whether it's him defending the zubach trade which is my favorite thing to to yell at him about by saying he only scored six points a game in the playoffs like completely ignoring the fact that like he traded for a guy in Mascala who didn't play for them the fact that he could have just waved Beasley the fact that Zubats was huge down the stretch for the Clippers in their regular season push like it just like the fact that he the fact that he even just like going outside of the first take interview like his twitter feed do you look at his twitter (laughs) feed like the fact that he's like i couldn't tweet and his tweets are like the warriors behind 23 points from draymond green and 30 points from steph curry you know like had another great win tonight like it's so fucking stupid that like you have to laugh at it it reminds me of like what a sports center tweet would be yeah for like a game recap literally something like that which is hilarious yeah so like 
like my whole thing about this situation isn't the fact that like magic was incompetent at all. I think the bigger picture No, it's the overall structure. Right, That's what it the, illuminates. Exactly. The bigger bigger picture is Genie Bus kind of invited yeah. this exactly. organizational strife on herself yeah. in terms of being like, Hey Rob Palenka or here, Magic, I'm basically gonna give you this and then since you have talked about like this not being a day-to-day role i'm gonna pair you up with this guy rob palenka who honestly hasn't ever had any experience front office wise he was a great he was a really powerful agent in the nba world but never had front office experience and those two things while they're similar they're not the same at all so it's just really confusing to me as to like why they wouldn't hire someone that was, like, a legit NBA front office yeah. guy. hiring, like, an assistant GM kind of right. type who had a lot of kind of clout and right. could handle the basketball operations side right. of things. And there was talk about Palenka being Kobe's guy and that playing a factor into it. Family business, baby. Right. Bar Rescue 101. Right. We're having eight people who I'm friends with on my payroll, and it guess what? It normally doesn't work out too well. That and the kitchen nightmares with Gordon Ramsay. Like, I could definitely see Gordon Ramsay kind of like going off on an F bomb tirade against Genie Bus and all that type of stuff. So it's it's like it's just kind of one of those things. Like now, it seems like Palenka's taking full control yeah. of the team, which. I don't like <laughs> I don't even know how to feel about it yeah. because like and then like Polinka's press conference in response to Magic's comments on first take were like a lot of PR stuff just like him saying, you know, that's not true. Like we all this stuff, Magic, we were having good We had a good relationship. Good relationship. And I mean Shel- Ramona Shelburne who's like the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, person. her and Bus are pretty much friends. Right, right. It's well known. She, she stated in a report, I believe, that Magic and Palenka were, you know, good buddies or whatever and acting really cordial even a couple days before the appearance. So even reading that, you kind of wonder, like, everyone's out for their own necks right now and, so, like, yeah. trying to control the narrative. So let's let's... Let me talk to Jeannie Bus directly. Jeannie, you can still fix this. Like, you can d- change this. Even if you want to roll with Rob Palinka as your guy, fine. I'll accept that. I don't think it's a great choice. Rob Palinka's pretty much, it's well known now that also, he's pretty much one of the most hated executives in the league. I think it's hard for agents to become GMs in possibly for that reason because like these gms are now dealing with a guy who like they were tried to hard in opposition with basically for the most of the time and i just don't think he's known as necessarily a pleasant guy but fine you want to roll with him but implement some kind of structure where someone has a final say you can't do this even with magic johnson such a powerful presence being gone this process is just going to repeat itself again with the rambuses and fucking 
you know, whoever else, Jason Kidd getting involved in the, you know, front office. Who's who's going to be next? Like, any fucking person, apparently, who she's friends with can walk it. The guy, she, the, you know, the waiter at her favorite restaurant's right, coming right. in. The business, it's also well known, and this is something with the Palenka magic stuff. It's also known that, and Magic talked about this in the first take interview, that the business side and the basketball side kind of become crossed over too much. Like, mm -hmm. the COO of whatever is going to Genie Bus and saying, like, oh, I think we should do X and Y on right. the basketball side. Like, just implement, you need to have some sort of structure in this organization or we're going to ha be doing this every month with something new. Even as it pertains to LeBron and Rich Paul's involvement, Maybe you need to insulate, like, it's hard to do, but, like, maybe you need to insulate them from the basketball side of things a little bit. Or if you want to invite them in, like, you have to make that up an actual part of things in some sort of more concrete way than just having this. Because I understand to some extent her position. Like, yeah. it's probably really hard to have a chorus of voices, you know, in your ear mm -hmm. and all these people telling you different things and then you're not a basketball, you're an owner, you're not a basketball person. Mm -hmm. So then having to make that ultimate decision is tough. But I mean, you're a business person, you have to figure out some way to, you know, you need to delegate the decision making in such a way where you're not doing this because just getting rid of one strong personality, I don't think is going to fix these obviously toxic changes that have problems that have even go back before she became the owner when it was like her brother who she like basic and mixed Mitch Kupchak mm -hmm. who she basically exiled out of the organization for the purposes of getting rid of this kind of stuff yeah. at some point like and this is the bar rescue taffer like you need to break the cycle or we're going to be doing this every month mm -hmm. you know and it's funny and it's funny because it makes me mad and we can like laugh at all this yep. stuff but you know the Lakers are a great franchise. They have the best player in the one of the best players in NBA history. And you never know. We talked about this last time. If this shit continues, like it's, it's going to be us here talking about like LeBron's trade requests or something. And all that type of stuff. Yeah. And Jeannie, <laughs> we are also submitting, we can submit resumes if oh, you, you want to come in. Well, if you I want. did pretty well in business associations. Like, we can probably figure something I, out. I didn't do as well, but <laughs> <laughs> I can assist. Um, so it's like, yeah, I, I just feel like there needs to be some organizational structure, yeah. and then we'll kind of see what ends up happening on that type of stuff. Yeah, on what's going to end up happening is it's going to be the same fucking thing yeah. this year. And I, and Palinka may get I think Palinka may get fired within the first two months of the regular well, season. Don't you think? Depending on what happens like, with AD and yeah. the trade and the draft. To like go back on that stuff though, like. Don't you think they kind of just looked at the Golden State situation, Bob Myers, former agent, like their successful franchise yeah. and how and he was able to pick it up. Why don't we just But they had the guidance of Jerry like it was well known to start out at the least and then he moved over to the Clippers right. and they had Jerry West this kind of guy who was overseeing like a strong presence but like not necessarily public facing all that much. But someone kind of guiding things, and then you hand it over to the guy. They don't have that. I'm sorry to cut you off also, there. He, Jerry West is a former Laker great. You don't think he would want to help turn it uh, around? I don't know. We'll, I don't know what yeah, that situation is like. Yeah, that's true. So, 
it's it's just fascinating to kind of see like the the differences between good ownership and bad ownership and yeah. what that looks like. And I'm not envious of these people in terms of like all the decisions that they have to make on a day to day basis um, regarding this basically investment that they're making in in this team. But at the at the same time, like these people are getting criticized in the news like them don't like what are the power rankings for the worst like owners right now like lakers knicks Knicks. yeah kings possibly kings are probably still up there yeah um i'm just trying to think of who's at the Suns. Now I think Suns might be number Top one. Now I mm. think Suns. I'd put Suns over Lakers in terms of poor ownership for sure. Mm. It's it's just interesting because it depends like how you view things. But yeah, it's that's Sarver's the bad. Three. Sarver's bad. Yeah. So it, it's just fascinating to see like how these, and then like how other teams are able to figure it out like the Spurs and like. Like and even someone like the Mavericks, like Mark Cuban's a fairly day to day guy that's involved with the team, and he wasn't like a basketball co- guy coming in, but he was like passionate all this stuff. But he's kind of shown a way a way to be involved with yeah. the team, but then also give trust to those those people in the front office to let them do their jobs so it's that fascinating thing where it doesn't have to all be the same way that a team is successful obviously but there's varying degrees of like how involved an owner should be and how an owner should not be so it's like i don't know like there's different paths that you can take but it doesn't mean that one specific path is definitely the wrong way it's just everyone has to be on the same page communicate and <laughs> it's like a relationship it really is it really <laughs> is like that's two relationship metaphors right with multiple sure. people so yeah. it's it's fascinating to see what ends up happening there um yeah i have nothing else really to cover so we're pretty much done i think i think it's only fair though to end the podcast we do five to seven minutes on the on the Brooklyn Nets. We haven't talked about them at all. Yeah, I think it's just let's let you roll. Come on. The end of the season, the the 76ers series, we never talked yeah, about it really at all. We really never touched up what, upon it. Now we're almost a month out from the end of the season. Just just give me I know it's gonna be D'Angelo Russell and there's yeah. gonna be some things that but like let's just give give I just wanna hear your overall just right. give me what's sticking out to you, what are you looking forward to in the off season. So I had really Big good picture stuff. So I had really good vibes coming out of that playoff series. Like, all right, like figured that like I didn't buy all the hype that people were kind of coming in with like, oh, Brooklyn actually has a chance to win this series. I think I was like, I'd be happy with six games or whatever, five, six games. Like if they got one game, one win, I'd be happy. So mission accomplished, honestly, especially with this young team, young core. I didn't expect too much. There were a couple things where I was just like, oh, if we did this, did that, it would have made a difference. But overall, I was happy with the team really successful season especially with the hell that they that the nets have been through and for me as a fan that i've been through for the past 40 years or so with all the draft picks 
and all that stuff going to Boston really hurt. But now turning a new page. And now with, like, Brooklyn's offseason <laughs> not as great, especially with the D'Angelo Russell thing. Russell, if those of you guys that oh, don't they, know. Oh, I've completely forgot about the Arizona can stuff. Right. So the it's not that big of a deal. And not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, but it's just kind of like, come on, dude. Sure. Like, like I don't care if you smoke weed or do, you know, all that type of stuff. Do that, but don't be stupid enough to carry it on to, like, into an Have airport. someone else carry it, at least. <laughs> or, like, the fact that you hit it in a in an Arizona can bottle where you, you're not allowed to bring liquids. <laughs> like, like, it's just, like... It's at, just least, at least know the, uh, at least know no, the no TSA the, rules and right, regulations. Know the hiding spots and all. But it's just kind of like, oh, man, dude, like, not the best way to start off the offseason. Yeah. But it was just really funny. Um, and, like, I don't think it necessarily changes anything for him, like going into restricted free agency for him the i mean there's possible worries like he's eligible for a max of five years 158 million dollars um as a nets fan like yeah i don't think you want to give him that unless you absolutely have to you don't really want to give him that but it only takes one team to offer him that for them to kind of be forced to be like all right we got to make a decision on this and then at that point does dean like is d'angelo upset that we didn't go to so that's what are you are you trying to i didn't mean to butt in but are you trying to play hardball and wait for him to get an offer or are you going to him with maybe Something a little... I'm trying to think of a comparable contract, but I know you kind of have those. I'm trying to think of who got... There was someone recently who got a deal where it's like slightly... Maybe five years at a slightly below the max level or something like that. Do you think you go to him with that right off the bat and see if maybe he takes that? Or are you... Are you know. saying let's you got to go out onto the open market? Just wait and see and see if you can get a deal somewhere. And I think teams will offer him yeah for sure because there's a lot of money out there like a lot of teams have cap space if they don't hit on like their big guys they're i mean if i'm like indiana or someone i'm 100 percent making that offer if like i can't trade for conley or something right so it's not out of the question ideally as a nets fan you'd kind of i'm a little worried about the the slump that might happen especially like you know, there's signs of immaturity still. Like, that incident isn't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. It's just one of those things, like, hopefully he grows up. And, mm-hmm. like, the Nick Young thing. And, and that's an interest, <laughs> That's another, like, interesting, like, tie back to the Lakers. Yeah. And we didn't even mention it, but Magic was like, yeah, we basically traded him because, because of, of that. that incident. So that incident the Arizona can marijuana type of thing. Next, he's going to, like, what is he going to do? Like, pants, Rodeon's Kuroots and <laughs> at a press conference yeah. uh, or it's, something. And, like, the thing is, I loved the way he played this offseason, or this season, and the way he looked. The numbers looked great. Like, he could shoot it a little better. But overall, I was fairly happy. I'm just scared that, like I, I basically have only seen a season of it, yeah. and I'm scared that maybe 
he gets complacent and sits <laughs> on his laurels and doesn't yeah. doesn't improve. And I'd love to offer him like a five for one twenty five or like even something like something below below what he's gonna get. Five for one twenty five is what twenty five mil a year. Like that's about I would say right for him at this point. But I I also wouldn't be surprised if the Nets just give him the full boatload of five years for one fifty eight, not to deal with the headache at all. And then there are rumors about KD signing, which I don't really see yeah, at all. Yeah. Like that's n- mostly just like yeah. Bill Simmonsy right, right. type speculation. Like, it just seems very far fetched to me that I'm not expecting KD to come. Like narrative wise, it doesn't make sense for him to come to the Nets at all. It doesn't make sense. There's like rumors about possible sign and trade of Kyrie and centered around Kyrie and D'Angelo that I've read. That's in, fairly in, interesting. Which I, is I fairly interesting to possibly, you know, bring in KD to sign sign with the Nets. That's a, another fascinating thing, but I'm not exactly sure how I how I would feel about that either, especially with the way Kyrie looked. Kyrie's like second team All NBA guy, but like there's just a lot of worries, I guess. I don't know. Like I think ultimately you do it, yeah. you do that deal, but still, the w- the way he kind of forced his way out of Cleveland to go to Boston, and now like in Boston he's not like this revered figure at all. It's it's a little worrisome, but he's a local guy, like from Jersey. So that's that's one of those things where I'd probably be happy that he's with the Nets. I just don't see it for KD coming to the Nets. He's probably going to the Knicks. Like that's that makes sense in the grand scheme of things, narrative wise. What about a uh, real quick? What about like a Jimmy Butler or a Tobias Harris? What are your just takes on that? As like, because I think that. I, I just threw Harris in there, but I think Butler's the only other name I've heard, like big name I've heard connected to the Nets in any way. So what do you what do you think about either of those guys? Assuming you re-sign, like do you like them as a complimentary piece for, you know, or they'd kind of be probably arguably the best player, but, you know, yeah. a combination of Butler or Harris and, and D'Lo as with your other guys. What do you, what do you make of that I possibility? I think it's interesting, but I think... I don't love it, honestly. Just the Butler thing, I don't love the chemistry thing. Plus, like, him probably taking, like, opportunities away from Karis Levert to kind of, like, grow into something. And Levert showed, like, oh, he, he can play. Like Tobias Harris makes a little bit more sense, I think, from, from a, like, positional place of need plus i think it would make sense timeline wise because he's a couple years younger would fit in with like the younger core of the nets whereas butler is basically you're basically signing butler to be this leader and i don't know if he can like that's what i'm worried about him leading so just to conclude this. so basically if they get tobias harris i'd be okay there fairly, you go. i'd be fairly happy I'd yeah be like okay but like and He'll be an interesting guy to to just see where he goes in right. general, but um, so and then and then I think all the other worries are like the Nets have a lot of guy veteran guys coming mm. coming up like or basically gone from the team, especially if they sign like a bigger guy. So like Damari Carroll's gone, 
Jared Dudley's gone. Ed Davis gone probably. Like like I think those would be contingencies if like they strike out on all the other guys. But not like Dudley, he's whatever. Carroll, whatever. Like they're three veteran guys that like really like I think helped shape a young Nets team. Like and if you saw like Nets playoff games or Nets regular season games, like all the players on the bench were super engaged. Yeah. Like they weren't it wasn't this team of with bad chemistry. They clearly knew their defined roles and were willing to sacrifice, which you know, like Kenny Atkinson, I was like a little out on him in the beginning of the year and then now I'm just like yeah, like I don't know what what else you can really expect and what more that you'd want from a team, especially with the the playoff run that they made or with the regular season run they made to make the playoffs. So I'm I'm not that upset about that. It just seems like it just seems like they're at a r- really important spot for in, sure in their organizational like future, especially with this core of players and. Like they have Dinwiddie on a good contract, Joe Harris on a good contract, um, and like Lavert's contract extension is gonna come. I I probably signed D'Angelo if all the other things don't pan out. Like that's yeah. the big domino to fall uh, falls and see what ends up happening there. So there's and not much else, th- honestly. Good. That's that what I was going to ask yeah. you. I'm glad to get your GM prescription, you know, as a guy under the tutelage of Dell Demps, <laughs> Rich Cho, just yeah. titans of, 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 Hey, Rich Cho got a hey, job. Hey, no, no, Rich that's Cho got a job. no. And I don't want to, I don't want to uh, cu- cut this out. I don't want any employment prospects for you in the future to right, be, right. uh, Anyway, sorry, I just want to get my <laughs> Dell Demps joke in. Yeah, yeah. So it it's uh I think it's gonna be fascinating off season and all of these things are intertwined. I yeah. think like this situation's intertwined. And like, things still to be determined, Kevin, even in these possible, you know, of possible final series in the Eastern Conference Finals, like there's so much up in the air and there's still basketball to be played that will help decide these things. Totally. So. Yeah. So we just don't really know what's gonna happen and we're really excited to watch it. There un- will be unfold. craziness, I'm sure, Kevin. I know. Bunch of craziness <laughs> to unfold. So we'll, and we're basically counting down to like July 1st or what. I think that's when the new league season starts with yeah. free agency and all that type of stuff. Draft, draft night's going to be exciting as well, especially with like movement of picks, things like that. Is Does that happen? Anthony Davis trade, is that happening at all this offseason? So there's so many things. Uh, to unfold. I know me and you in the future during this offseason will probably be breaking down other teams as like, I guess as they, as like free agency moves happen and things like that, we'll probably do, maybe we'll do like a dedicated like free agency podcast before uh, it actually starts off and we'll see what ends up happening there. And then maybe a draft like reaction type of thing. But and then finals too. Yeah, I think we finals probably preview. have to do something during the finals yeah. or previewing it or during the series right, right. or something exactly. at the very least. So we have like a bunch of stuff planned yeah. out and it doesn't stop. Like none of like the NBA season doesn't yeah. stop anymore, so it's really exciting to see that happening. And then exciting announcement. So me I I thought of a new name for the podcast and I'm going to unveil it here and it's n- I don't know like when I'm going to make the official switch. Maybe it's 
right now. But um, so the name that new name for the podcast that we came up with was the Kevin. I don't know how to. I don't even know how to like phrase it. But I was just gonna call it Kevin and the Wu Tang Clan. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's the best phrasing of it for sure. Right. So that's probably what the name of the podcast is gonna be. We'll have a new cool logo. Uh, like it's in the works. I'm actually. Wow. Working. Okay. Yep. I didn't know about the logo. You yep. told me about the name before so, the podcast. So that'll be really exciting to unveil and do all that. Just a year late, not like no big deal on that in terms of like all that stuff. Seventy three, four episodes in, so eh. yeah, you know, get thing. I'm a busy guy, so um, so that's kind of exciting. You know, I think it like kind of the reason why I came up with that, or you know, obviously it's a play on the Wu Tang Clan, but it's all it's basically bringing on all of my friends and cast of characters that I have on the podcast talking about sports talking about life so it's really exciting to kind of do all that and i think like moving forward like sports it's definitely going to still be sports centric but i think i'm going to push to talk about other types of things as well so it'll be really fun um and exciting to do and there's not much else to cover like we've we pretty much touched upon everything that we wanted to talk about with this NBA podcast and me and Andrew are going out to watch game five. We'll be rooting on our respective teams. Hopefully our predictions come true for the both of us. Um, And yeah, if you guys have not subscribed yet, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you guys listen to the podcast. Um, And we will be back probably Probably next week, probably talking about Champions League final, Liverpool. My team, Liverpool versus Tottenham. So that's going to be next week sometime, released midweek. So be on the lookout for that. And then we'll probably we'll know the finals teams by then as well. So maybe we'll do a preview podcast next week as well. So thanks, guys, for listening to this long podcast. But thank you. And uh, yeah, thanks again.